0: I thought about that a lot, like what is drag? Like what definition can encompass everything that like falls under that umbrella?
1: The main philosophy I'd say is that more is more and too much is never enough. So really the sky is the limit. And it's the
2: vehicle for social commentary, political commentary. It's generally a good time. To quote one of my favorite local queens, it's a jolly good time, drag.
0: Art that explores gender through the body.
3: It's a way to dramatize real experiences of genders and if that's not lure enough then i
2: think that that person's just too far gone
4: you're listening to taking up space on cfuv 101.9 fm broadcasting from the husanich and songhees territories of the Sinchothan and lekwungen speaking peoples also known as victoria On the last episode, we learned about why drag is so important to the queer community and how the struggle for LGBTQ rights and equality has necessitated safe places for people to express their truest selves, by which I mean be extremely extra. On part two of our drag series, we're going to look at the local Victoria drag scene because drag actually lives in the local communities, not just on RuPaul's Drag Race. And you're going to hear a lot of different voices, drag queens, drag kings, drag things of all ages. And they're going to tell you about what the drag community in Victoria is all about. But first, we'll start with what you might already know. A little show called RuPaul's Drag Race. Because of Drag Race, drag has gone from something that was pretty niche to being center stage of popular culture.
0: Like Drag is just the most profitable thing to do for a lot of people. Like
4: That's Fruit Bat, a former Miss Gay Vancouver Island and one of Victoria's drag performers.
0: I think, like, drag has influenced everything. Like, pop music right now is so... It's kind of this interesting, like, crossover because at first it was, like, drag was emulating pop music. And now pop music is emulating drag. And it's, like, yeah, there's definitely... It's important to remember, like, where all these things that are so popular now, like where they actually came from.
4: And where those things came from was communities of queer people of color.
0: Now those things are just being like, you know, like everyone's doing them and it's so like popular now. But the thing that drag loses when it becomes mainstream, (laughs) like the fact that drag has been a fight and it kind of loses that sense of like, resilience when it's easy
4: so popular as it may be these roots are really what make drag what it is
0: it was like so much of the makeup that you see on instagram or something like things like that so influenced by drag like what is now considered traditionally feminine like makeup that cis women are doing so i mean drag's amazing i don't think it's surprising that like people want to do drag i think that's great but i think there's always going to be drag is always going to be like a fight in some sense and there's always going to be that energy drag that comes from a place of privilege can like definitely lose the a sense of groundedness i think
4: there's also the issue of how drag is represented in mainstream media People who jumped on the RuPaul Bandwagon aren't necessarily getting a true sense of how drag really works in the local scene.
0: But as far as the diversity of drag that is shown on Drag Race, it is a small small snippet of like what drag artists in the world are doing and it is quite frustrating to watch just to see the same kind of tropes of like you know mostly cis gay male people doing like some form of female impersonation when in the world there's way just like so much more diversity of like what drag is now. So in that sense, it's like very behind the times and frustrating to see the lack of diversity in the people that are cast on the show. Um, And it leaves people with kind of a skewed impression of like what drag can be. And what drag has been in the past even because it's not I think even that is like a myth that's perpetuated that drag has always been by like cis gay men and now it's now other people are doing drag and like that's not the truth at all. Drag has been done by a huge range of people of genders and sexualities forever.
4: And the lack of diversity that Fruit Bat is talking about can perpetuate a false sense of what drag really is, and it can make it really problematic. This is Al, whose drag personas are all of legend and Noah Fox Gibbons.
3: It's hard for me to look at um, the dominance of mainstream drag and RuPaul and stuff like that in an objective sense because I've really seen the harm done by it. I've really seen... Um, people being brought down by um, the way that drag is being represented and um, the way that not only it can be transphobic but also racist and culturally appropriative. Um, And that's really hard. I think that drag in the mainstream is a great thing but drag in the mainstream in its current form is perpetuating a lot of harm. And specifically Transphobia is a really big deal in the drag community um, because not only do people mistake trans people for drag performers, which they're not. Trans people can't take off their costume, um, whereas drag performers can. Um, There's also a lot of drag performers can... um, kind of fall into a lot of the harmful um, rhetorics that we have about trans people and drag performers have such a platform in the queer community they're really um, held in high regard and when those people are perpetuating transphobia it becomes really challenging for trans people to participate in anything fun in the queer community because anything fun that they want to do has these drag performers who are saying really transphobic things about them
4: If you follow RuPaul at all, you might remember when he was blasted for comments he made about not allowing trans women on the show because, quote, it changes the whole concept of what we're doing, unquote. But the thing is. Trans women started drag.
3: Yeah, so a lot of people talk about drag as coming from Shakespeare days when um, men would play women's roles. But drag, as we know it in the modern times, um, like a lot of the stuff that you would see in mainstream drag, like RuPaul's Drag Race, was actually a survival technique for trans women of color who couldn't live their. True gender in their regular lives. So they created a persona and a performance out of it that was more accepted in those times. Of course, not totally, they still faced violence for what they did, Um, but that really paved the way um, for modern drag performance. And um, every drag performer owes their art to trans women of color, and we really should be centering and respecting that.
4: Another performer we spoke with agrees.
5: Yeah. Her name is Adderall. When people are removing the transness out of drag and, like, the gender exploration and, like, the actual meaning behind it, I think it it kind of turns into a joke.
4: Which can happen when the art of drag is distanced from its history of resistance.
5: There's a lot of people who don't understand that it actually means a lot to some people, and then there's people... But some drag can also be really offensive, like, when people are putting on, like, when, like, like for some... some Queens that are shall go unnamed were, you know, doing their thing, and they, like, their shtick is like the joke is being a woman. It's not like it's not like an empowering thing. It's like a it's misogynist, really. Like it's like, and that that tends to come from like the cis gay male, like, performer side. But well, it's it, it's it's also kind of frustrating that lots of the mainstream drag revolves around cis people. There's not very much trans representation.
4: Here's another drag queen we spoke with.
6: At night, I transform into Honey Doomy.
4: And Honey Doomy says there's another big difference between what you see on Drag Race and what goes on in local community.
6: Well, I think like the main difference between Drag Race and a local drag show is that there's no competition, or I would say less competition. So what you kind of see on the show that is that it's like... um People get very competitive and like cutthroat because they need to win. Like it's you know, and then you get int- like you get introduced to the pageant system and stuff like that. But in a local drag show, it's definitely not like that. And um, what you see on the show is kind of like, in a way, a mainstream version of drag, right? Because it has to appeal to you know, um, a lot of viewers. But a local drag show could be anything. And there's so much alternative drag happening. Like it's not about like looking fishy or like, which is, which means that, you know, to look like a woman for like a drag queen, but it's more like performance art in a way. And um, going to a local drag show is so different because you would still get the same feeling. I feel like um, as if you were watching Drag Race, like that same kind of exhilaration and um, admiration, I feel like as well, but it's different because they're just there and they're just performing for you. And um, I feel like it opens your eyes as well. I feel that um, there's so many like different um, types of drag. And I think you can only experience that in the local scene.
4: So what you're seeing on Drag Race often misses the richness and diversity of what drag can be, which is nothing new when it comes to commercializing art forms. But another issue is that doing drag isn't cheap, and often the queens on Drag Race who come from wealthier backgrounds come prepared with expensive garments and pieces, which means they can sometimes outshine the queens, who have a more homemade approach, and they do well in the competition because of their access to resources. But pushing drag into the spotlight does have some benefits. This is Ada again.
5: Firstly, I'd like to say that it's, I think it's a great thing that it's hitting the mainstream because not only is it making people recognize that there are like that people are like that out there, but it's also supporting those artists. There people, straight people are coming out to the shows now. like, you know, like it's not just it's not just like the queer people kind of like in like the corners that are like crawling out to the cracks and the gutters coming out to the shows. It's just like everybody.
4: Eddie Licious was actually on Canada as a Drag, a docu-series about Canadian drag performers. Season 2, Ep 9, check it out. And they don't think we should attribute the popularity of drag solely to RuPaul. They think that the rise of drag is more representative of a
1: societal shift. I think RuPaul maybe is um, responsible for a lot of the the mainstream attention to drag, but there is a lot more to it than that. I think we're just ready for it as a as a society. Mm-hmm. We're just ready to expand our perceptions of gender and what is masculine and what is feminine and um, drag can help with that and benefit from that as an art form so big drag tm has some real issues but the spirit of drag
4: lives in that local scene where people are free to innovate push boundaries and you know this is al again
3: Yeah, I think the way that mainstream drag um, is represented and the way that the queer community has really been representing itself through mainstream drag is not representative of the beauty and wonder that is being queer. And I think that um, we need to recognize that drag can be so much more um, than what we see in mainstream media, but also... Queerness. Queerness and queer art can be so much more than what we see in mainstream media and what we see in drag. So, I really want to see more queer songwriters, more queer poets, more um, queer visual arts, just more queer creativity representing the queer community.
4: So, what can that look like? Here in Victoria, the drag scene is surprisingly lively.
6: Oh hell yeah, girl!
4: This is Honey Do Me.
6: Because otherwise, like, what would you do? Like, you're not gonna be able to perform like on on your own in a show. Nobody would come to see me if I would be performing at one. Well, maybe, but like, I I think my mom would be there. But um, you know, nobody would like come to see just one queen performing, because that's not how it works. You need every everybody in 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 the community. And it's, it's, I think it's very important to, like, connect with each other, work well with each other. And um, I think one of the be- most beautiful things about the Victoria community is that everybody um, works very well with each other, but it's also very friendly and very encouraging. And that's something that I really, really respect. And I hope I do the same thing to newcomers to the community, um, because I think that without the encouragement, I wouldn't have gone this far and I wouldn't be able to push myself this much. And yeah, that's tea.
2: It's also a really tight knit community. That's Percy Flage, a drag king in Victoria. So without drag, I wouldn't have many of the friends that I have, and uh, drag has definitely, you know, it's it's saved me in a lot of ways. In in times where things haven't made sense, then you do drag.
4: And Percy says he really notices how supportive everyone is.
2: Yep there's a facebook page called hashtag yyjdrag and anyone can join it's a closed group but anyone can join and just the other day someone posted hey i am an aspiring um hyper queen would anyone be interested in like helping me out with makeup and right away there's posts like absolutely you know uh, i think that there is a will in the community to build each other up and creating safety and networks of support is critical for queer community
4: Drag scenes really help people find each other.
6: If I wasn't doing drag right now, I don't think I would have met all of these great people that I've met. Um I remember um before I started doing drag, I was kind of stuck at this like environment at the hostel that I worked at and I was just hanging out there with a lot of people, but obviously those people leave. And I found it very hard to connect with like local Victorians in a way because I really didn't know where to go, what to do. But when I did drag for the very first time, like I met Data I met Sydney, I met, eventually met you. But, like, I met all of these other people, and I'm very proud to the call them my friends as well. But, like, it just feels like I'm, I don't know, like, this is, that's, yeah. Like, I feel like I found my people, in a way. And that sense of belonging has always been very important, especially since I've come here as an immigrant, to feel, like, feel at home. And I would say that, like, this is more my home now than, than Netherlands is. So, and it's in part... Due to drag because it allows me to be my very best self
4: there's no one way to engage with the community and for fruit bat they actually found the greatest benefit of the community to be in how it supported them in doing personal work
0: in my experience at least i think for some people maybe their drag is a lot more of like a communal thing for them which i think is awesome but for me personally drag has been very like individual not in the sense that I haven't been like welcomed into a community but just in the sense that many of the ways that drag has been important in my life have been to do with like things that are very internal as opposed to communal so i would say but i guess in another sense it's really important that we have had drag events and drag spaces that have allowed me to do that like internal work and i think the fact that we have that in victoria That's, like, allowing so many people to do that as well, which I think is so valuable.
4: Ultimately, the culture of drag relies on the relationships and connections that are built around artful self-expression. It's necessary to create an atmosphere of safety around people so they can be free to express themselves and not only just be free, but be celebrated. And speaking of an atmosphere of safety, Honey Doomy talked about how clubs are actually transformed when they're hosting a drag show, when otherwise it might not feel like a totally accepting environment.
6: But that's the thing, like, and it allows you to grow as a person as well, because you are in those inclusive spaces and you feel like you can be wherever you want to be. And like you, your true self shines, right? And it's, I mean, it's, I'm not going to say it's that easy, but it's like, that's the kind of thing you want to do. I don't know, like, it's just... Going to, I feel obviously more comfortable in a, in a, in a safe queer, queer space where I can totally be myself. And that's where I kind of rediscovered my love for going out as well. Because like I didn't really do it before because I was all, only going to those kind of like boring, you know, like spaces and venues where I just feel like I don't really belong. So,
4: And for how many queer people live in this city, there is a very
6: noticeable lack of queer space. Why would you not have more safe spaces where everybody everybody can be themselves, including you? Yeah. You don't have to worry about who you are or what you do, as long as you don't, A, hurt other people, or just, you're, if you're, you know, like, if you're just, if you're nice to everyone, it's going to be fine. But like, I feel like even people, um, you know, who go to straight spaces um, could like benefit from it, obviously, because sometimes, you know, you see people holding back. You don't have to hold back when you're in a queer space, just dance and do whatever you want, as long as you're respectful to other people. Consent. It's that easy. But like the world will be a better place if everybody could be themselves. And a safe space and an inclusive space allows people to be themselves. So I don't see like why, why people don't understand that equation, but whatever.
4: Fruitbat also brought up not only the lack of dedicated queer space, but the lack of accessible space.
0: But I would love to have more alternative venues that are accessible to people with physical disabilities. In Victoria, that's really challenging because we have so many older buildings where like the venue is at the top of a giant flight of stairs. And it's just really hard to find accessible venues that are also affordable to like people who want to organize more independent events that are outside of more well-established clubs. Um, So that's like an ongoing thing that's been a struggle to find places. But yeah, I think that's another thing that I would like to see in the future.
4: So queer space is important because we need places where people feel welcome to be their truest selves and places where consent and anti-oppressive values are essential. But also we need places for queer youth because often queer events and drag shows are held in bars. So that is where the Trans Tipping Point Youth Retreat comes in. Here's Ada Rawl again, who we met at the retreat.
5: I think programs like this, like especially, yeah, like... Uh, I I think it's really important because it's kind of like a lot of queer arts community is centered around clubbing environments and places where youth typically aren't allowed to be present. Like so like without that, like the only exposure they have to these people are through media and things that are usually like fine tuned to like pick out audiences and stuff like that, like World of Wonder or whatever. And like you don't get an idea of how. You know the drag community and the queer community is like actually like a community it's not a competition like it's a cooperative effort like you can't have well you can but like there are very few drag performers out there who have one drag performer in their show you know like a show usually has like eight to 12 people in it and like everyone's working as a team to bring something to the something to the stage you know people doing music whatever and like um so to be able to bring all the youth into like a room together and like be able to, you know, I don't know, just be queer together and like make cool art and stuff. I think it's really important because then you kind of like fostering a space where like you're allowed to explore gender and you're like going to kind of see it not as so serious or not as binary or whatever. And you can kind of get like little glimpses into people. And I don't know, it's just really good for youth to see like role models and yeah, they're just not really available to them.
4: This is Corey, one of the adult mentors of the program.
5: Yeah, I mean, I think that, like,
7: the existence that we lead in a dominator consumer capitalist culture is such that um, often the things that we're offered uh, through a mainstream, mass-produced culture uh, is really just a facade of something that was once much richer and much deeper. Um, And so I think one of the things that is really exciting about this project is that it does give the youth an opportunity to build intergenerational relationships um, and get to know folks who maybe have been a part of that tradition, um, as well, you know, a part of what I bring to the project and what I'm always like trying to bring in is that you know this reminder that we're actually part of a long like ancient magical lineage uh and that you know tr- trans people and gender expansion has been something that is as old as humans or older maybe um and that you know a part of mainstream culture uh you know yes it gives us this sort of like Taste test this. Like here's here's what the mask of gender performance looks like, but it's a mask, and it doesn't necessarily come with all of the substance and complexity uh, that is really um, foundational to that history. So I think it's you know it's exciting for things to get more mainstream recognition, and unfortunately, I think that a part of how the mainstream works is that it often flushes substance.
4: Trans Tipping Point Retreat is a weekend of workshops and conversations that are focused on trans and gender-diverse youth creating art. Drag was only one part of it. But Corey says drag is a really effective way to encourage play with gender expression.
7: I can speak to my own personal experience, you know, which is that I... Uh, I came out and transitioned like 13, 14 years ago. Um, but before that was something that I felt like I could really take on in a everyday sort of way, or um, you know, be looking into how that might impact me on like a on a regular everyday. Um, drag was a, a petri dish where I could try different things on, and I could um, I could see how it would feel to perform my gender differently. Um, and I think that that's one of the things that, uh, trans youth have a really incredible ability to understand concepts that a lot of cis folks don't have, um, about the ways that gender is performative. Um, and you know, it, we could get really heady and academic about it, but like, if you want to understand it in a way that is more accessible than reading Judith Butler, um, you know, talking to a trans youth about how they get themselves ready to face the world. Um, And that, you know, sometimes the way that we play uh, and, you know, play through creative process, but also through performance um, is, you know, where we can build a confidence and get to know ourselves and get to know each other. Um, And, and also where it's okay to try something that doesn't have to work. Um, it's you know, it's okay to step into something that is uh, more monstrous or more uh, exaggerated, uh, and that helps us kind of map out where it is that we do want to live.
3: Yeah, I think Trans tipping Point is a really great project. That's Al again, who is also at the retreat for representing trans youth stories as they see it, which is so important for. Um, people who confuse transness and drag and experience that ignorance and really show the complexity of gender um, and demonstrate that you can be trans and do drag, um, but also those are separate things, those are separate parts of your identity. Um, I'm really excited about um, the drag workshop that's happening tomorrow because um, I really hope that the facilitator will... Um, touch on the experiences of transphobia and drag and touch on how beautiful and wonderful and really weird drag can be when you bring that gender creativity and that gender wonder into it that um, so many trans people are able to see. We
4: also got to talk with some participants um, in the program. My name is Alex. Pronouns
8: they, them. Cool. Cool. My name is Maisie, um, she, her, and my drag person is Gumi, she, her.
4: They were both really excited to take some of the workshops and meet other kids.
8: I am um, crazy excited and um, I know that you will definitely enjoy it. I've been going here for over a year now to this program. Um, last year they did a writing program with poetry and stuff, but yeah, I'm totally stoked to be in this. I'm really excited and it's nice to hang out with other people who are in the same boat as me and, and f- feel together. Yeah, I feel at home. It feels like a big happy family. To, like with all these people who are kind of exploring their identity. Awesome. Yeah. What about you, Alex?
9: Um. Honestly, it pushed me over the edge, and I, I finally got the guts to like, um, change, like, the way people see me, and hopefully, the way people see me. But. Cool. Um, so push you over the edge in a good way yeah like like i was just i just put a- alex cuz i wasn't sure and then like i just saw all these people they them like and it just felt like perfect and that i could like and, like was more free mm-hmm. yeah. yeah
8: there's lots of people in your in your situation
9: Both
4: Alex and Maisie were performing in a drag show at the end of the weekend. Maisie's drag persona's name is
8: Gumi. Yeah,
3: you were saying you just kind of came up with your drag persona.
8: Yeah, I just started. I'm still freaking out because I don't know what to do. Because I'm I'm lip-syncing something that's Japanese. What are you lip-syncing? It's called Matryoshka. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's... uh, Yeah, it's a song about, like, uh, depression and pain stuff, yeah, and, like, getting over it, yeah. Mm -hmm. I have dealt with depression before, and, yeah, I think Gumi really relates to me, yeah.
4: And Alex's drag name is Victor West.
3: And does Victor West have, like, do you find any parts of you being projected through him?
9: um a little bit i feel like he's more of the um happier version of me so he's kind of like happier and he he's very like upbeat all the time like no matter what he's doing at that time like he'll he'll always be happy and smiling Um, Yeah, so that's kind of, like, it's kind of how I wish I was.
4: They told Char, our interviewer, about how they experienced their queerness.
8: Another thing I noticed is that sometimes religious and Christian people kind of have stigmas with trans people. Like, you were born a boy and are living a life of sin. Like, I would respond to that. Like, your mom is a, is a pile of spiders in a trench coat made of spider webs.
3: <laughs>
8: <laughs> yeah. yeah, totally. There's
3: a lot of, there's definitely a lot
8: of hate out in the world for people like us. Um, but there's also a lot of
3: love. And yeah. I'm as someone who them. didn't come out until she was, like, 20, um, it's great to see kids like you accepting yourself. Um, yeah. Is there anything else you want to add to it? Tell the radio folks. Um, yeah. Keep shining. Awesome. Anything from you, Alex?
9: I want to say don't be scared to come out if you haven't already. And if you are scared, I think, um, you should talk to somebody about that. It can be somebody you know that's queer. Or, um... Somebody you know is accepting Um, if you're scared to tell your parents or your grandparents I Personally understand with the grandparents part because I was I'm very scared to tell my dad. Uh, He's on my dad's side and he's Muslim Um, He's not very accepting uh, But I do want to tell him eventually
4: Everybody has to start somewhere, and developing your drag persona is a journey of its own. After the break, we'll hear about how some of the drag performers in Victoria found their character.
8: It all comes back to me. You're cute
5: too.
4: If you like this episode, you should check out Full Circle's upcoming episode about feminism and burlesque, called Burlesque, Bipoc women reclaiming bodies.
2: How would I describe Percy now? I would say that I guess Percy's a bit of a storyteller. Um, I think that my favorite types of stories to tell involve um, the misunderstood villain. Or um, the unsung hero, or just the, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? The underdog. I like telling underdog stories. Or a mad homage to 80s music. You know, sort of like a mashup of those things is (laughs) Percy Oh, Eddie-licious is a lot of
1: things. He's, uh, I would say, he's sort of a mix between Axl Rose, Tiny Tim, <laughs> Elton John, Beetlejuice, and a well-trained but unneutered toy poodle. So he is campy and political, complex. He loves satire, but he also loves being really mushy and serious. Um, I use a lot of influence from my late father, um, and his personality in Eddie Licious actually so he is also a deeply personal character he kind of is like a way for me to keep my dad's influence alive in my life and to share the message he had my dad was a long-haired feminist hippie musician type and a total weirdo and a rock star so I feel like Eddie Licious kind of pulls the divine masculine um out of all of that whole situation and can kind of give a face to it so I uh, in a sense, I'm doing it to feel connected to my ancestry and my family. Um and I'm also doing it yeah, for myself, for for a greater understanding of myself and what makes me tick and what motivates me.
0: My drag name is Fruit Bat. The drag that I do now is very different from what I did when I first started out in drag. I like the earlier drag makeup that I did was definitely a lot more traditional. Um a lot more, like, stereotypically feminine and beautiful in a more conventional way. Um, I was very inspired by queens like Violet Tchotchke and stuff who were, like, yeah, really, like, beautiful in a a conventional feminine way. Um, But eventually I started feeling like that was kind of... I didn't like what I was perpetuating through it. Uh, And I wanted to be more intentional about what I was saying with my drag. Um, So I wanted to move into something that was more abstract and like more free from social convention in a way. Um, So the drag I do now is inspired by kind of like different, yeah, different sources of inspiration now. I more inspired by like insects and like aliens and um yeah i guess i still love that like hyper feminine aspect but i appreciate it more in a sense that it's like more feminine than what is palatable to like the average person so yeah a bit more like femininity that's so over the top that it's like too much Mm -hmm. yeah which i think has been a part of drag Forever. But I've come to appreciate that more recently.
6: She is kind of an alter ego. I feel like sometimes she's more of an extension of me, as in she's kind of wacky, kind of, I hope, funny. But um, um, primarily she's kind of like glamorous, um, but also a little weird and cookie, which I think I am too. So, But then, you know, with heels on and a whole lot of makeup. So yeah, that's "Honey, Do Me" for you.
3: My drag personas are Olive a Legend, whose pronouns are also they/them, and Noah Fox Gibbon, whose pronouns are he/him. So a lot of my drag personas um, come from stuff that I'm interested in or stuff that I'm actively going through. Noah is actually a slam poet drag king, so he doesn't do anything to music. He just does um, spoken word art. And um, a lot of Noah's poems um, are very raw and very real and come from um, my own experiences, but through Noah's lens. And Olive is also from a lot of my experiences, but Olive is more escapism, more kind of what I dream about becoming rather than the here and now.
4: And like David said in the last episode, the first performance can turn the key and you're off. And that's how it was for Honey Do Me.
6: Um, like, I, I remember, like, the day off, I was getting so nervous, and I was like, I can't even do my eye makeup. So I called my friend, and I was like, hey, please help me with my makeup, because I know she would do an amazing job. And so I did, like, my own contouring and stuff, and she did my eyes. And, um, I was like, I should wear a wig. And then I had, like, this one really ratty wig that I still wear. Um, and I was like, this doesn't go with the outfit, I don't want that. And I uh, bought all of these, like, cute little hat bands. And I was like, I'll just do that and then just use my hair and it's like hairspray it and whatever. Um, So we did that and um, we actually got ready at Leah's and then I got ready with Boy Idol uh, and like a bunch of other performers. and I found Boy Idol a little intimidating. I love them, but there was just kind of like, you're so gorgeous and here I am as a baby drag queen doing my very first thing. Oh my God. Um, but I remember coming to paparazzi and, um, there was also like, it was just a night where there were like two Vancouver queens, I think. And like all of these like local drag queens. And I remember seeing Henrietta Du Bay there as well. Um, but as intimidating as, as it was, I felt very comfortable very quickly. And it's because everybody was so super nice. And, um, I remember just standing back in a green room and then waiting for like my number to start. And I think they, I think Robin would announce me as Fresh Fruit which is really funny, because obviously my name is Honey Doomy. But I remember getting really, really nervous and really, really anxious about it. And I was like, God, 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 oh God. And then as soon as the music started, I was like, I feel right at home. This is great. And I didn't really have like tricks up my sleeve or like reveals or, you know, whatever. Um, But it was just so much fun. It was just so much fun. And honestly, I don't really remember about like anything about the performance, except for seeing it afterwards, obviously, but like the performances, I was kind of like, I don't know it was just it was great
10: you were lost in the moment I
6: was very much lost in the moment yeah and I you know like afterwards I was just remember like talking to Henrietta and And Rita was like, is this your very first time? And I was like, yes, it is. And she's like, oh, you did so well. And I was like, oh. And especially like after like doing, you know, a performance for the very first time and hearing that, that's just so encouraging. And that's like what I really love about the community here. It's just like people encourage each other to flourish. Cause you know, what good would it be if you just like diminish other people and be like, no. Stupid, like just let everybody grow. Again, let people be who they want to be and encourage them to be the best self. It's not hard.
1: <laughs> Eddie Licious's first performance was actually in middle school. I saw the music video for Devo's Whip It and was very <laughs> inspired by that. So, kind of did a parody number about that and did the whole costume and the whole bit and sort of did an impersonation of them. So, uh, yeah, it was just kind of uh, on a silly, fun whim. Um, and I've always sort of been drawn to performing masculinity. It was terrifying at first. I still have very bad stage fright I still I still am extremely anxious on stage or just before getting on stage anyway once I step on, I kind of get lost in the moment and the energy of the crowd takes me and it's great and I'm having a good time um, so I don't know. I think it's a constant process I think i I don't know I don't I don't really want to lose that edge either. Um, I think it should always be challenging um, and Exhilarating, and uh, I need those endorphins, so... Yeah, it's... Yeah. I still feel like it's the first time I'm getting on stage every time, and I love that. It's hard on the adrenal glands, but I love it. Um, I'm a very cis-feminine-presenting, non-binary person, so I think I've used drag for a long time to kind of fight dysphoria, um, and even instinctually before I can't, I knew I had the language to, to work through the many complexities of that. One of the
4: biggest impacts of doing drag for people on top of the community building seems to be how it's helped them learn more about their own experience with gender.
1: Um, I played along with drag for a long time just casually because it it helped me feel better in my body and uh, helped me feel like I was able to explore hidden aspects of myself that I wasn't necessarily given the opportunity to present in my day-to-day life Um, so I guess I started to take it more seriously and integrate it as part of my personality more um, kind of in tandem with exploring my Métis identity and my two-spirit identity I feel like drag has been a really good tool for me to be able to present how I want to present in a safe environment. Um, And it also has kind of given me a voice that I don't think I could have easily found in my day-to-day life. I have used my drag persona to help myself become more comfortable exploring my gender identity. I recently actually debuted a full-length solo show that deals with my identity issues, and I'm in drag for about half of it. Um, And it also speaks to my Métis ancestry, uh, my family, and the complicated feelings about all of that. So it's been an interesting way to tie together all of those aspects of my personality and my experiences. Uh, I think that... Getting on stage and regularly doing drag and performing and being validated and supported in that, in the queer spaces that I perform in, um, has given me the strength to go to other venues with it and to articulate my story and my journey in life more confidently. Drag changes lives. Or maybe
4: drag gives people an outlet to explore a part of themselves and that changes lives here's percy
2: yeah my life has definitely changed i have like a constant and challenging creative outlet which i love i love storytelling and i always have and drag is like a three and a half minute opportunity to just commune with an audience and connect and tell a story that likely resonates for a lot of people and that is so satisfying and rare, and an opportunity. Um, yeah, creative outlet and just a lot of um, healthy ways to express things are confusing or frustrating about you know about understanding gender, about understanding queer identity, and mm-hmm. understanding your family, understanding your friends. Drag, yeah, drag is a marvelous outlet for those sorts of explorations.
4: Ada says that experimentation that's so important to drag allowed her to learn more about herself out of drag.
5: Yes, yes. And d- definitely it helped me realize how un-cis that I am and how gender fluid and like kind of like embracing that side of myself. Um and I think it was due to the fact that it's it's easy to like put it on and take it off and like experiment with it and like kind of play with it and like you can see it as like an art form and you like you don't need to like tell everybody that you meet it's like oh yeah like I'm gender fluid like no you're just you're just a drag queen like whatever like nobody needs to ask all these questions but like secretly inside like you can know like what you like about it and you can talk to your friends about it and there's tons of really welcoming people in the community that are going through the same things you are too.
4: And Fruitbat says that drag has definitely influenced the way they experience their queerness.
5: Mostly
0: in the sense of presentation, because I think with like presentation, drag is like a chance to really do absolutely whatever you want with like the way that you look and any like whim that you've had or fantasy that you can kind of imagine, you can completely bring that to life. And it's also like embracing the kind of otherness of it that like in your day to day life, Maybe you'd be like really uncomfortable doing something like wearing makeup on the bus. But then you like have a drag show and you just have to get there and like you have to have your makeup done. So you just have to wear makeup on the bus and then you do it and you're like, wow, I can wear this full face of like avant garde, abstract, like hyper, like hyper feminine makeup in public. And I mean, obviously, I don't want to discount the fact that some people do experience violence as a result of that or can't move comfortably in the place that they live like in drag but there's also the the fact that like going out in public in a way that is very like different from what you would wear day to day or maybe more like in line with a fantasy that you have allows you to kind of translate that into how you do dress every day like the way that I express myself now the way that I present is so influenced by the drag that I do and like drag has been extremely freeing and allowed me to, yeah, just experiment with things like aesthetically that I wouldn't have done otherwise.
4: And they said if they hadn't discovered drag.
0: I think that I would be less comfortable with myself in general, but more specifically with like my own femininity and my own androgyny as well. So yeah, it's definitely like had a significant impact in that sense
4: and honey doomy found confidence in drag
0: um i feel like it was also a way for
6: me to express my not so much um i didn't have like gender dysphoria or um anything like that but more of like exploring i guess the feminine side of me and um i mean i was raised in liberal holland and it was all very liberal but it still is kind of like a thing like um, people there are very down to earth and very like pragmatic in a lot of ways. So, you know, like drag is something that's kind of frowned upon still, which makes sense for, you know, like the, the mind and the attitude that people in the Netherlands have. Um, cause it's like so out there and it's just like so outspoken. Um, but yeah, like for me, that was kind of the thing where I was like, I always had these ideas of like doing something with like art, but I can't paint. I'm very, I'm like acting and stuff like that probably okay at it but um and but kind of drag like bundles it all together and um that's where i thought um the interesting part was because like i was always like i wanted to do music as well but like i can't sing i can't play an instrument but i can lip sync to another person's song so that is fun um so yeah kind of I guess I guess that inspired me to kind of try it out and see how it would go and see if I would be actually okay at it. And now I feel like I have found that confidence that I'm just like, I'm okay with this and now I'm just like ready to like progress and do some new stuff. So,
4: From the people we spoke to at least, drag has had such a big impact on the way people live their lives, which totally makes sense when you think about drag's roots and the violence and resistance that underpin the art form. Drag is inextricable from the fight for gay rights and equality. And it's relied on the trans women of color who paved the way for everyone else. And now drag can be this source of empowerment and continues to be an act of resistance against heteronormativity. I guess that's what
6: drag does to you. Yeah. Just... I feel like but it's it's very empowering. And like, but you're kind of like um, all around these individuals that like, you know, go so far from that like social norm. Nobody gives a shit because whatever, like, you know, like, I don't really give a shit what you think, because like, I'm dressed up, I have four layers of pantyhose on, I'm wearing high heels, I have my waist cinched, and I have fake boobs hanging there. You know what I don't care about? Your opinion, because this is all heavy and I need to go to my gig, okay? I don't have time for that.
10: <laughs> Spoken like a true queen.
4: This episode of Taking Up Space was produced by Sarah Solman, with help from Nicola Watts, Katie Denslow, Shar Johnston-Carter, and Serena Bandar. Our executive producer is Mary Decker. Thank you so much to all of our guests. Fruitbat, Adderall, Sophie, Honey Doomy, Percy Flage, Corey Dottie, Licious, Al Cusack, and Maisie and Alex. And a big thank you to Trans Tipping Point for letting us record at your retreat. If you want more info about Trans Tipping Point and all the work they do, go to their Facebook page. This program would not be possible with the generous support of the Community Radio Fund of Canada. If you like what you heard on this episode of Taking Up Space, tune in next week and subscribe, rate, and review wherever you get your podcasts.
8: Hey, give me your ear. Let's, uh, pull back the curtain for a minute and check out behind the scenes of CFUV's podcasts.
10: Hi, this is Serena with CFUV 101.9 FM. I just wanted to share with you how wonderful a time I've had this past year being a volunteer working on CFUV's Taking Up Space podcast. Um, I find that a narrative. Uh, podcasts are such a great space for sharing the voices of marginalized folks and communities. Um, in particular, working on the hormone monster podcast was such an amazing experience. And not only did I get to share some really enthralling and eye-opening uh information with you all, um, I also learned quite a bit about my own body and, you know, the ways that uh our hormones really just play around with uh. How we interact with the world. Uh, that episode was so eye-opening and so validating for me, especially as a transgender woman. Um, beyond that, um yeah, I just found that working on these podcasts was such a really cool experience. Um, I learned so many skills that I'm able to now apply into my own artistic practice. Um, and yeah, it I really can't really can't say enough about how great of an experience it's been um if you're interested at all in volunteering i would highly recommend uh, getting in touch with the folks here at cpv thanks